We're not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time this morning, but we'll, we'll get to a lot of it as we preach through it. The Bible says in Psalm 102, if you would look at the title with me, it says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. Verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. Look down, if you would, please, at verse number 16. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Oh, Billy, would you ask God to bless the preaching for us, please? God, thank you for today, Lord. I'm glad that I can make it out and see those people here. What a blessing, God. I just ask that you feed us today, Lord. You convict us. You offend us. You show us where we're wrong and you're right, God. And you just make that clear as day, Lord. I just ask that whatever Mike has for us, that it's from you, God, and that he can speak freely and boldly. And I know that he is a man of a man of you, God, and I just ask that he can show us what we need to be like, Lord, and that we can strive to follow him as he's following you, Lord, and hear the things that he's prepared and the things that you've laid on his heart, God. I'm just thankful for every person here today, Lord. What a blessing. And we pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, we were doing an overview of some of the Old Testament, and when the, one of the professors got us to the book of Job, He said, this is the age-old question, why do the righteous suffer? And I was probably 22 years old at the time. That was the Bible college I was in before I left there and went to the institute where we actually learned, like, Bible. (laughs) But in the Bible college where we learned to be a professional preacher, there were some things the Lord really did do in my mind and in my heart, and I'm thankful for what God's done. And that, I remember that question grabbing me. You see, at 22 years old, that didn't mean a whole lot to me at that point. And that's not a shot at 22-year-olds. That's just saying where I was at when I was 22, that didn't mean a whole lot. I kind of viewed, you know, hardships as badges of honor. You know, I used to say arrogantly, you know, I believe in the school of hard knocks. Uh, One of those kind of guys. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Like if, you know, seeing is believing kind of attitude. And so when he said that, an older guy got up and said, the age-old question is, why do the righteous suffer? I remember the way he said it. I remember the look on his face. I remember something about what that man said. It obviously came from his life experience. And to him, when he said it, it was like, it was a really legitimate question. Why do the righteous suffer? And I, I, I feel like at this point in my life, I'm starting to grab a hold of that feeling. You would think that when you do right, it means everything's going to go wonderful. But the reality is, even people that are trying to serve the Lord, in this psalm, it's a prayer of the afflicted when he's overwhelmed. And he poureth out his complaint before the Lord. Here is a very godly man, honest, obviously. This is a man you could clearly say, here's a man of God. He's penning down inspired scripture. The Holy Spirit of God is giving him every word that he gives us in Psalm 102. Every word that he's writing down is given to him of the Holy Spirit of God. And in his oppression, in his overwhelming state, in his complaint, in his burden, he's pouring himself out to the Lord and he's saying, listen, I have a complaint because I'm afflicted. You ever stop to think why the Holy Spirit of God penned down a book like the book of Ecclesiastes? You ever read that book? That whole book of the Bible, (laughs) the perfect Word of God, is written from the perspective of life under the sun. And here's this preacher, you know, supposed to be Mr. Positivity, you know, according to today's modern view of what a preacher is, you know, supposed to be Mr. Pump everybody up all the time. Is He's saying vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And he runs through the book of Ecclesiastes and just literally pours out like, I got it all, I had it all, I had everything the world has to offer. 
And I found out at the end of all that it was, all of my dreams, all of my hopes, they came to fruition. I got all of my youthful desires. And I found out when I got them that they were absolutely pointless. <laughs> Everything I thought I wanted, I got. I'll be happy when. And I wasn't happy because when happened. This is Mr. I hit the lottery. And now all of my current problems are gone, but he found out that in hitting the lottery, it brought in a whole bunch of other problems that he didn't see coming, nor could imagine were on his way. He writes an entire book of the Bible. He didn't literally hit the lottery. You understand what I'm saying? That's like an illustration. That's very hard to translate. He found out like, man, when I got everything I thought I wanted, I didn't really want it because I didn't realize that the more that I had, the more my problems were multiplied and sorrows were multiplied and I didn't really get it. Folks, I'm not trying to depress you this morning, but we're just going through the Psalms and this is the one we got on our plate today, okay? I'll try to like pull you out of the ditch by the end of the message. I really, that's part of my it's preparation and strategy and plan with all this. I'm not going to leave you here, but you got to realize that that is part of life. I found a passage of scripture, if you keep your finger in Psalm 102 and go over with me to Psalm 119, I remember years ago, and I, I can't even remember exactly how many, but many, I mean it, probably at least 20. I came across this in Psalm 119, and it really stuck out to me, and it's so true. Psalm 119, verse number 67. I tried memorizing this psalm. I got a little over halfway through, I think, something like that. And I, I actually need to go back and finish it up. I, Lord willing, I'll do that sometime before I die. But it's a really, really good psalm. And I'm reading down through Psalm 119, and Psalm 119, verse 67 hit me. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but after I was afflicted, I've kept thy word. Well, that's not all. Look at Psalm 71. It was good, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. Excuse me? It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You mean I was going astray in all the blessings without the problems, and so the problems came, and God used the problems to get me back on track, so it was a good thing that I had some affliction in my life. You mean to tell me I wasn't interested in knowing my Bible, I wasn't interested in learning my Bible, I wasn't really concerned with the statutes of God, but then problems showed up, and it's a good thing I had some problems because now I'm learning thy statutes. Now I'm turning to God, I'm turning to my Bible, I'm saying there's got to be some answers. This doesn't make any sense, and I want to figure out why the righteous suffer and how this works. Why, God? Did you know it's really okay for you to ask why, God, by the way? I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it a thousand more times before I die. I don't have time for unrealistic spirituality. I can't stand it. Somebody's going through a really, really, really hard time. Now, take this with a balance, please. So I'll say it and then I'm going to back up and retract it because I want to be balanced. They're going through a really, really hard time and they're using it as their opportunity to show everybody how godly they are. You say, man, I heard what happened. I'm real sorry. I'm praying for you. Oh, it's fine. The Lord knows. God's sovereign. It's okay. It's all good. You're, now, now, there's one thing between saying, brother, God knows. And it must have passed over his desk and he signed off on it before it happened because I'm his kid. And, and some people say that kind of thing and it strikes you deep and you never forget it because it was real. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a spirit behind what's said, it's not always the exact words of what was said. Well, God knows. Okay, great. No, so I just won't waste my time with you on the prayer list. I got other people to pray for, I guess. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Folks, I want to be real. I don't want to present to you that I'm some kind of a walking on water man of God that's not dealing with real life. I don't want to present that to my kids. Real life is righteous people suffer. Godly people get afflicted and hard times happen in a sinful world, period, the end of the discussion, you ain't going to get around it. And if you do get around it, you get robbed. You ever see somebody ain't ever been through nothing? 
and they get to be 20, 30, 40 years old, and they ain't never experienced any life at all. They've just lived it charmed, just, just charmed. I mean, like, no health problems, no financial problems, no marriage problems, no children problems. You ever meet somebody like that? You ever notice what drama queens they are? Once they see other people have real problems, then they start always trying to present it as though they had a problem to get attention, and you're like, get out of my stinking face, please. I'm sorry, that was unpastoral. You're like, well, I'm happy they've had it easy because the rest of us are living in a real world. Do you ever notice the character that they have? It's good for you to get afflicted. You know what shows some of your spirituality? The fact that God's let you have some problems. Look at Psalm 119, 107. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. God's creating a king. When God's creating a king that'll rule those people and take good care of them and love them and protect them and fight for them and feed them, God's saying, if I'm going to do something like that with that man, I'm going to put him through the ringer. I don't like this message. This is terrible, isn't it? Let's hurry up so we can get it over with. Go back to Psalm 102, please. I'm trying to tell you folks in honesty, I look back on some of the problems in my life and I thank God for them. I needed them. Some of the things that have happened to me have really fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel and they've been God's way of bringing me down and showing me I'm not as tough as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as godly as I think I am and I need him and I need to get in that book and figure out what's going on and why so I can have an honest view of God and not let the devil move in in your affliction. The devil will move in and start making you think God ain't fair and God ain't just and God ain't sweet and God ain't right and why would God let this happen and God God's allowing stuff to happen to you to help draw you closer to him and to make you better. Not bitter, better. I don't get it sometimes. I remember when, uh, excuse me, Brother Paul and Miss Patty, but I remember when Brother Paul got saved. And shortly after he gets saved, I get the panic call from Miss Patty. He's in the back of an ambulance with a widow maker. I could hear the sirens, the whole nine yards going on. He gets saved, and shortly after he gets saved, he loses his eyesight and gets fluid, start building up in his lungs and in and out of the hospital. I don't get that, man. I literally told God. I said, I don't get it. I, I honestly thought, well, that's that. We went a lot of people to Christ, but nobody seems to stick it out, and I just gave up on him. I underestimated him. Sorry about that. I underestimated her because every burden he carries, she carries. Think about that for a minute. I'll never forget when I got the call. One of Johnny's roughneck friends, a bunch of bikers, Preacher, you got to get out of here now! And you could hear it in his voice, you know, that like, that like panic mode. It ain't good, man. Johnny fell 30 foot on the asphalt, hit his head. I'll never remember, I'll never forget seeing him go by me. I got there when they were still taking him into ICU. He wasn't in there yet. His head was all swolled up. His nose was over on the side of his face. I mean, I'm talking, how many months were you in the hospital? Year and a half. Rash break out all over his body. Fever all over him. Yeah, he's probably never going to walk again. Probably never going to talk again. I don't get it, man. Riding a Harley now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he told me every time I went and visited him, preacher, I just want to get back to church. I want to answer that altar call. I want to pray on the altar. He didn't even know who he was half the time. Somehow or another, he knew what that book was. He'd point to the Bible on the thing and tell me to get it down and read it to him, and he knew who I was. And Grace came with me one time, and she was sitting there, and he said something, and she did her little, she gets that mischievous giggle that she makes. And when she did that laugh, I can't even copycat it. When she did that laugh, he looked at me. He said, that's my preacher's wife. <laughs> She'd already been there. He, didn't, he was staring at her. He, didn't, he was just staring at her. He didn't, wasn't getting it. And then she did that laugh, and he looked at me, he says, that's my preacher's wife. <laughs> Man, that was hard to watch for a year and a half. You know, good people go through some bad stuff. We need it. Don't quit on God. If these guys are still in church, you can too. Give me your stinking excuses, man. I get 
I'm not mad at you. I just get tired of watching the devil work. And I get tired of watching people just crack, just, just give up. you got some great examples in front of you of people that keep going through all kinds of thick and thin. You're going to suffer. That's part of life. Affliction's good for you. You know what you ought to do when you're afflicted? You ought to do what this man's doing in your passage. Look at verse number 1. He's crying out unto God, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I'm in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. You know what he's doing in his affliction? He's saying, God, I need you. Listen, sometimes affliction can come on you and it is imminent danger. In verse number two, he's saying, listen, I'm in trouble. I'm calling on you. I need a fast answer. Do you know it's okay to say, God, listen, I'm pouring it out to you. I don't like this. This ain't right. I don't know what's going on. God, please help me. I don't know what it is with Christians nowadays. I don't, I don't know what it, us, me, not just you, me too. It's like when bad things happen, the last thing we do is go to God. We've been so programmed to post online and to call somebody and text somebody that it's like, I'll get to God after I get the word out to everybody else. When you get affliction, when problems come your way, the first thing to do is cry out unto God. Don't you realize God's still God? He's still sitting on the throne. Y'all, what's going on in the world? God knows all about it. It's terrible. I get it, man. Finally, the news has something legitimate to report. They've been trying to stress you out for months on end. I mean, ever since COVID, they've been looking for something on that level. So then they're like, oh, thank God for Russia. Finally got something else to sell. I'm talking about the news media. Finally got something else to sell those poor saps. So we're all looking at it, and it's like Russia then. That kind of been going on for a while, and that's kind of dropping in the news. So it's like, oh, let's get on China and Taiwan. Well, now they finally got something legitimate to report. Yeah, you know what? Gas prices probably will go up. And guess what else? Them, them Muslims, them Hamas and Hezbollah and all the rest of them, you understand they are not going to stop. Do, do, do you understand that? Like, forget all the hope that maybe peace is going to come. That is not going to happen until the Prince of Peace reigns in Jerusalem. There are some guys, literally, there's the human beings that exist mostly males, that, oh, actually, well, never mind. Try not to go down that road. That, like, you don't start a fight with them unless you're ready, willing, and able to kill them, right? Because they won't stop. Even if you can beat them up, they won't stop. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, there's a, they're wired a certain way. That's exactly how those people are wired. So, so they're not going to stop. So what I'm trying to tell you is that there could be a whole lot more stress and drama coming our way. And then all kinds of active players all over the world are looking for their opportunities to do what men have always done. Listen to me. I just, I want to really, everybody to hear me and understand this. Humanity is not getting better. I don't care what bill of goods you're being sold, how many rave dance parties are going on for peace, it's terrible what happened to them at that party. So don't be one of these Christians that's like, they deserved it, they shouldn't have been at that party. It's terrible what happened to them at that party. But the whole spiritual side of it is off. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You can rave all you want about peace. You think this world's about peace? Let's go to one of the most peace-focused places in Michigan and street preach with me in the Diag. And what we'll do is we'll make a deal. Only talk about love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God on sin and salvation from hell. We'll just preach on all positive subjects and you see what those peace-loving people have to say and do. Some of the most vile, vulgar things that have ever been said to us in preaching was not in Transylvania in East Detroit. Was not transvestite hookers. Those are the ones that turn around to people that are cussing and say, stop cussing, we're in church right now. Amen? Am I lying? No. The, the most vile things been ever said to us is some 45-year-old woman who's probably got, a, based on what she was dressing, the way she's walking and acting, probably, you know, her husband probably makes tons and tons of money and little, little rich brat kids in U of M saying some of the most perverse things in the world to us while we're out preaching. I'm telling you, humanity is not getting better. 
and problems and tribulations and trials and struggles are here and they are here to stay. But we got a God in heaven that we can call out to in our trouble. So don't let the troubles rock your world. Get on your face with God and watch God do something in your afflictions. Because you're going to have problems. The difference between you and this world is their problems ruin them. Their problems drive them to drugs and to alcohol and all the other things that wreck people's lives even more. Their problems drive them to divorce and child support and, and the disintegration of the following generations. But your problems, your afflictions are supposed to drive you on your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ, the God in heaven that hears and loves you and knows and cares and can take all your problems and use them for your good and His glory. That's as bad as it gets for you. Is some problems in life. And it's all uphill from there. And in the bad... God uses those things to draw his people to himself. So are they really that bad? Imminent dangers results should result in the cry of affliction. Look at this. There's individual responsibility. This is where, this is where the devil gets a lot of good Christians, right here. Look at verse 10. Because of thine indignation... And thy wrath, for thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. Oh, wait a minute. This man, in his affliction, is enough of a man of God to say, I know why I'm in the predicament I'm in. It's my fault. Did you hear that? You know what you're having a hard time finding today? It's a character problem. It's a Bible problem. It's a fact that people aren't in that book and the book does not reign supreme anymore. It's, oh, you're blaming me? Oh, you're saying it's my fault? Yeah, you. I just don't know why he has to talk like that. Well, because we're preaching Bible. I honestly, I say that, you know, you know why preachers like me talk like we talk? Because it gets you to think. It's a little bit sharp. Yeah, I know, but it's not always sharp, is it? I'm getting older. I'm getting nicer as I get older, aren't I? I'll be nicer next week when Grace is home. For right now, I'm trying to survive. You understand what happens when you go into survival mode? You understand that, right? It's not as bad as it used to be because she trained all four of them real good. They can all cook dinner and clean clothes and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's a real blessing, but it's still not all right. <laughs> They tell her, Mom, Dad's not all right when you're not here. Something's wrong, you know. <laughs> he doesn't talk. We're all the way home and we're talking and he just doesn't say anything. It's not always sharp. But you know what? This is what gets you to think. Like I told you before, I'm going to tell you again. Real Bible-believing preachers, listen to this. This is true. Real Bible-believing preachers are sheep. They're sheep. I'm trying to tell you there ain't a bone in my body that wants to hurt anybody in this room. I have no desire to see you fail. I have no desire to even see you get what you got coming. And some of you got some stuff coming. But I pray for God's mercy and grace and love and forgiveness in your life and on your family. I pray for his blessing on your job, his blessing on your marriages, his blessing on your walk with Jesus Christ. I don't have a mean bone in my body towards you. Real Bible-believing preacher are sheep. But sometimes they're in wolf's clothing. The difference between that and the other guys is they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And so you walk in and you judge the preacher based on what you're seeing and hearing. And like, well, I don't know why he has to talk so sharp. And you go in, you sit down, and some guy's up there, bah, 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 bah. And what he's saying is, give, give, give. I want your money. I want your money. I don't care what happens to your kids. I don't care how your kids turn out. I'll tell those little brats anything you want me to tell them so that you stay in church and they keep coming to youth group. So no, they're not fornicators. No, they're not drunks. No, homosexuality is not an abomination. It's not a sin to be homosexual. It's just a sin to act on it. Preachers in your hometown talking like that to your youth kids. 
Those are wolves in sheep's clothing. So when I tell you that you ought to take it when God tells you you're wrong and be, have the character to say I'm wrong, I'm trying to help you. The problem is when you really want God and you know that some of the things that are happening to you are your own fault. Any of you screwed anything up in your life? Hello? Any of you get a little bit older and you look back at your life and you look back at circumstances and things and people that you had an influence on and said, man, if I'd have done it different. That's where the devil gets you. Because yes, sometimes we do reap what we sow. And yes, God is just and right to allow us to reap what we sow. Look at this man and his honesty. He compares himself to two unclean birds. Look at verse uh, 6. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. You know, under the law, those are two unclean animals. You know what he's saying in his affliction when he's crying out to God? He's saying, God, I need your help and I need it now because this is a mess, number one. And number two, God, I'm the reason it's a mess. And I know your judgment is right and I deserve everything I got coming. That's a person that in their affliction is going to get something good out of it. But most people nowadays, most people don't want to ever admit they're wrong. How dare you tell me I'm wrong? Well, guess what? You're wrong. So is your preacher. Anytime I go against God, he's right and I'm wrong. I, I called somebody recently to apologize for joking at him from the pulpit. I won't bring it up again if you weren't here, but if you were, but hey man, I shouldn't have teased you about being smarter than everybody else because of your ethnicity. Why? I shouldn't have done that. Because I know you personally, I know sometimes it bothers you and sometimes it doesn't, so I apologize, I'm sorry. Why? Because when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if I do it publicly, I'll apologize publicly. Why? Because I ain't God. And it's more important to me to be right with God than it is to have anybody look at me or my own self-respect or my own strutting around. Forget all that stuff. He's right and the rest of us are wrong. So when you're wrong, just own it. And get on your face before God and say, God, I'm having a hard time right now and I've messed some stuff up and I realize you're just and because of my stupid decisions, God, I've messed some stuff up. And I don't want to mess stuff up. And I need your help. How often do you ask God for mercy? Have you, made it, have you made it this far into the day? Let's say you like to sleep in. You're almost, you're three and a half hours into the day if you sleep till eight. You've been awake for three and a half hours and you haven't asked God to be merciful to you? You've been awake for three and a half hours and you haven't said, God, please forgive me. I, I doubt your walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be mean to you because a whole bunch of you probably haven't yet today. But if you don't at least feel conviction about that fact and can't recognize like, yeah, I probably should have done that, then I doubt your walk with Christ. Well, I've grown a lot spiritually. The closer you get to something holy and perfect while you're in a sinful body, the more you be like Job, who is greatly afflicted, he said, I abhor myself. God took away all ten of his kids. The worst torment is God left his wife. <laughs> Curse God and die. <laughs> Good night, woman. Like, really? We're both going through this. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. I don't blame that woman at all. Could you imagine losing ten kids? That was supposed to be a joke, and only half of you laughed. Listen. Y'all know how I feel about my wife, right? Okay, please. Think about what he went through. And when he got to the end of it, he said, God, I abhor myself because I accused you in my affliction. Man, what a great God. What a great God that will forgive us for reacting wrong when he does right. Look at the consuming of affliction, not just the cry of affliction, but look at the consuming nature of affliction. Verse number three, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as in hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. Has anybody ever been there? In a room this size, I'm sure some have. 
but not everybody. I'm talking about things are so bad that you're not hungry. I'm not talking about missing a meal, Americans, or snack time between meals. I didn't eat any Cheez-Its at two. I only had lunch at noon and I'm starving. Welcome to America. <laughs> I'm talking about day one, day two, day three. And you're starting to get the shakes a little bit. Your clothes are already starting to fit loose. And just the thought of food or the smell of food makes you want to throw up. That's affliction, man. I'm talking about that's affliction. Not this, not this American garbage of the preacher didn't tell us before he left. Nobody said that. I felt terrible about that. I always announce it and I, we just, everything was kind of breaking loose at once. And I literally just forgot to tell you I was going to be gone. I did not do that to you on purpose. And thankfully, as far as I know, nobody's offended about it, so it's a great illustration. But that's the kind of stuff churches just get. I didn't even know you were going to be out of town. Well, I'm so sorry. I didn't think, you know, check with you first. The preacher didn't shake my hand. Nobody's nice to me over there. No, that's not affliction. Affliction is I literally couldn't eat. Dead tired, and I laid down, and I can't sleep. Has anybody ever been dead, tired, exhausted, and woke themselves up crying? You're crying in your sleep? By the way, that's not weak. That's real traumatic experience. And very strong people have to deal with that in this life. Folks, that's the boat this man is in. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. He's dehydrated. He's withering away hungry. And his soul's crying out in him to where he's not even like consciously making those exclamations, those pains. They're just coming out of a, just a soul that's just wrecked. And by the way, you got a lot of people walking around right now in this country that are lost that are on the precipice of this. They're not quite there yet, but the way that these older generations have treated their kids, and what I mean by that is a lack of time, a lack of attention, a lack of love, a lack of discipline. Daddies that are more obsessed with chasing women or playing video games than they are you know, going out to the bar with their friends than they are about even paying their child support, let alone picking the kid up when it's their turn to have them. They're dried up. They're afflicted. They need help. And can I just help some of you guys be soul winners? You don't understand the power that God can give you as you get older and you're old enough to be the father of a 20-year-old grown man who never had a father. And some of you older guys, you could help out a lot if you actually stop and care about a younger guy just enough to care about him because you care about him when he can benefit you nothing and actually drive you nuts and take up your time when you got other things to do and your own problems to worry about. You can check that for a second, put it to the side, and care about somebody else for a minute because they're suffering. They're suffering. You kids got good parents? You better thank God for it. You don't have the problems you think you got. Talking about suffering, I'm talking about affliction. He says in verse 7, I watch him as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Mine enemies reproach me all the day. Then they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of thine indignation and thy wrath, thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I'm withered like grass. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I am overwhelmed with everything at once. This guy has got a ton of problems. His health is failing in verse 3. He's got family problems in verse 28. Financial problems, spiritual problems, social problems, mental problems, emotional problems. I'm talking about affliction, man. You know when it rains, it pours. Do you guys ever notice that? Is, am I alone or does anybody notice that? Man, we got we to gotta work on the engine and the Durango, you know? It's like, oh, great. Well, it's paid off, and it's got 200,000 miles on it, so what do you expect? Let's go ahead and put a little money into it and keep it going for a little while, right? I'm on the way home Wednesday night, and the check engine light goes out on Grace's car. 
I'm like, seriously, right now? The guys ride with me the other day, they're in my car, they're like, hey, preacher, I think you need new new struts. I'm like, I know, I've been trying to ignore it. Leave me alone right now. (laughs) You know, that's just how it is. It's like one car can't go out. They're all going to have to go out together in unison. We got four jobs and four drivers and three vehicles to do it on, and they're all going to check out at the same time. That's you know what that is? That's first world problems, folks. That ain't that ain't that ain't affliction. Oh, it's so hard lately. No, we're fixing to go into a a a a a state in this world where we may have some real problems. And some of you in your lives, you're going to hit some snags and some bumps in the roads and some afflictions. And I am telling you, don't quit on God when everything gets overwhelming. Because there are times, folks, it does get overwhelming. I mean, skin for skin, all that a man happily give for his skin. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you sell the house and sell the cars and live in, a, live in a rented place or live in a tent? If you could have your family healthy and everything be all right. I mean, have you ever had family health problems? People you love that have health problems? Wouldn't you sell everything to take care of them? Talking about real affliction. And sometimes it gets a little bit overwhelming. Sometimes it gets to where it just doesn't make sense. And I am telling you, in those moments in your life, the devil is going to show up and start whispering in your ear, what's the point? Why don't you drop out? Why don't you quit? If God really loved you, he wouldn't let... See what happened when you did right ever since you got saved. Young men will give their heart to God, man, and God will get a hold of them, boy. It's a blessing to see. I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to favor the young men. Please, don't take it wrong, ladies. Man, these guys, when young men fall in love with the Word of God, that, that is an amazing thing. Here's why it's amazing. You ladies generally are so much better about spiritual things than men are. That's a compliment. I don't care if this offends you because it's not politically correct nowadays, but it's a fact, so so what? Women are more emotional creatures. Gentlemen, do not kill that in your wives and children. My preacher told me one day a few years back, he said, we got in the car, he doesn't do it in front of them. Good night, man. I'm like, what? He's like, they're girls. They're not Navy SEALs. What's your problem? And it was like, it was one of those duh moments. I was, oh yeah, and I could take it from him. You say it, I mean, we might fight, okay? But you know what? He's right. And it's a really good thing that they're girls. And I don't want them to be tough. I want them to be strong. Amen? Because life's tough. I want them to be able to handle it. And they are. You're not going to find a stronger woman than my... That's not a put down to the rest of you. Just, okay. My wife's strong, man. I've watched that girl for years. And she's a strong girl. But you know what's great about her? She's sweet. None of, us are, none of us are okay when mama's gone. It's really getting on the girls now because it's been two weeks for them. That's a beautiful thing. It ain't about your features and your posts. And Some of you just got a totally wrong perspective of yourself nowadays, okay? Listen, there are some individuals I would like to give them a real picture of themselves, not one that was taken through filters. Anyways, don't go down that rabbit trail. That, that, that don't mean nothing. That's, that's neither here nor there. You know, ugly men need a wife too. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you your value ain't in that, no matter what this world tries to tell you, or these selfish dudes try to tell you when you're young. And if you think you're all that and you're so beautiful and all the rest of that stuff, you need a reality check. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Just give it time, man. Your skin droops and your grays show up. And if, even if you don't see them because the filters fix them, the rest of us see them, okay? So we don't think as much of you as you think of yourself. Trust me. I love big fish in small ponds, don't you? Yeah, amen. I remember saying it back when I was in high school. So, yeah, you're a tough guy here. Why don't you go to public school and act like that? You ain't as bad as you think you are. Your worth is not in your looks and your weight and all the rest of that, your features. Your worth is in the fact that you've got a tender heart. And that's a good thing. 
Kids need a mama. A mama. A mama, not two dads. A mama. But gentlemen, that's not an excuse for you not to get close to Jesus Christ and learn how to love God's way. I'm not saying love. Get out of here, man. Don't you kiss me on the cheek. Greet me on the other way. No, no, that's a holy kiss means something totally different. This is America. It's 2023. You ain't going to kiss nothing for a long time after that. But to be, to be loving is not effeminate. So when God gets a hold of the heart of some young men and they fall in love with the Bible and in love with Jesus Christ, the devil hates that. You know what will happen almost every time? I'm telling you, it's like clockwork almost every time. You'll get in, you'll start falling in love with your Bible, and you'll start diving into that thing, and the devil will send you a woman or work. Every time. I like reaching, guys. I, I love it. And then they say, well, my girlfriend. Well, so what? Let her go to whatever church she wants to go to. You go where God's sending you. Grow up, man. If she dumps you, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Move on. Time to man up. I love seeing God get a hold of these guys. I love seeing them start to do something with them. I hate seeing the way the devil's working. We got some men in this church, if you couldn't tell when I was gone, that can preach. And they're growing, aren't they? Now, we got about five of them on a rotation. Two of them have already finished Bible school, and three of them are in Bible school right now on a rotation to, to fill in for me. What a blessing to see, boy. You know what we need in this generation? We need more men that get serious about God. I'm telling you, all your dreams in this world are going to break your heart. I'm telling you, that girl, you just can't live without her. She's my dream girl. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, how obsessed are you going to be with her when she's stepping out on you with somebody else? Amen. I'd rather find something a little bit more reliable than something that's some little wallflower. You understand what I'm saying? Ain't going to matter in 20 years, man. What's going to matter in 20 years is your walk with Jesus Christ. Afflictions and problems and troubles and trials come in this life, and it's part of this life, and they can get overwhelming. And the devil will send you so many distractions that ain't even funny. All that's going to matter in a few years is your walk with the Lord. Look at verse 11. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I'm withered like grass. Look at verse 23. He weakeneth my strength in the way. He shorteneth my days. Do you know what you're all doing? You're all dying. That's morbid, ain't it? You're all getting older one day at a time. You must have prayed for me because I said Wednesday night I thought I was dying. I thought I gave myself a hernia this week, man. Thank God I'm feeling better, so I don't think I did. I'm never doing that again. I set a PR, a personal record. I'm four, almost, 40, almost 46 years old. Yeah! Like, that was not worth it. <laughs> don't care. Why? Because we're getting older. Stuff starts snapping and popping and cracking and all the rest of that stuff. Walking up and down the stairs, that sounds like somebody's crinkling like paper. Like, <laughs> my knees are doing like, like, what in the world is that? It's like, it's, it's crazy. I'm just trying to tell you folks, we're all dying. You know that? It says he shorteneth my days. He's cut us down to three score and ten, and if by reason of strength, four score. We were in Dayton, Ohio yesterday for a wedding, and a 102-year-old woman walked up to us. And she said, where's Grace? We preached down there a few months back. I said, she's with her mom. And, oh, her mom had a heart attack. I don't know how she knew all this. Oh, her mom had a heart attack. How's her mom doing? I said, good. And she said, so let's see, Anna, Sophia, Lillian, and Ava. Anna's 19, Sophia's 17, Ava's Lillian's 15, Ava's 13. I said, yes, ma'am. I cannot believe you remember all that. She said, I'd really like to meet the girls. Well, I had forgotten the girls weren't with us when we were down there or something. She asked my wife for all their names, and she wrote all their names down. I've been praying for my family. And she come over to the table, and she's like, okay, so show me who they are. I can't see very good because I have uh, uh, cataracts or something. She said, but show me who they are. She's looking. And then when I went through and gave her the name by age order, she went backwards and named their age order. 102. All she can do is pray. 
I said, ma'am, your mind is better at 50 years past me plus than mine is. And she just giggled. That's amazing to see somebody at 102. You probably ain't going to make it that long. (laughs) I'm not. You know why? Because we're dying. Right to the point where you get to where you know a little bit of something and you're kind of worth something to the world. Nobody treats you like you're an adult. Everybody starts treating you like you're a baby again and stops listening to you and you go home. It's rough, ain't it? Do you know you're alive today because of God? You know, I broke my ribs back in 2020 or something like that. Well, I think it was God extending my days. I really do. I know that sounds stupid. But I went to Worlds in 2019. I lost to the world champion by one advantage. 0-0 for five minutes. Last 30 seconds of the fight. I went back and we watched the video like 50 times and my coach and everybody else said, you got two advantages in the first two and a half minutes. He got one in the last, but they weren't reward, awarding them yet. Man, you have no idea how mad I was. I was stinking mad. I went through a lot of affliction getting ready for that. Like not eating, pushing myself hard, getting my weight down, getting up at five in the morning to put on an altitude mask and run three miles in less than 24 minutes, seven minutes and some change. At, at 40, 41, 41, 42, something, 41. Just crazy. Pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself. Broke my ribs and went, didn't go to the doctor for a week. Woke up one morning, was feeling super funny, called my wife and told her I couldn't move much, I couldn't hardly talk, I was just in tons of pain. She said, go to the doctor right now. Now, whenever she can't get me to do something she knows I needed to do, she calls my pastor and says, listen, could you talk to that idiot? So I, he calls me, heard you broke your ribs. Yeah, did you go to the doctor? Um, not yet. Next thing I heard, you idiot. <laughs> well, the whole thing was a real blessing. I had my blood pressure went up from being in that much pain for a week, and I, I don't like pain meds because I like them too much. So I didn't, didn't want them. And after a week of that much pain, it does weird stuff to your body. And my blood pressure was through the roof, and the hypertension, uh, hypertensive crisis is pretty bad. They scanned my body, and she said, "Mr. Reagan, you got you got scars all over all four of all four quadrants of your lungs, spots." I had two years of follow-ups with the doctor to check my lungs to make sure I didn't have cancer. And then she said, "And your left aorta is enlarged, and your left you got left ventricular hypertrophy and left left aorta enlargement." So explain it to you, the, the heart's just a muscle, right? And so if you work a muscle, it grows. And the problem is with the heart, it'll only grow so much, and then it starts hardening. So you could be like, you know, super low body fat in great shape and all the rest of this stuff, bragging about how strong and healthy you are, and you could be out running on a trail and drop over dead in the dark at five in the morning. Leave your wife and kids behind because you're an idiot. Thank God for broken ribs. I'm just telling you, you don't know what your days are, and being stupid, you can cut them short, young people. Being stupid. Being stupid. Oh, come on, man. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Okay, stupid. Well, it is a big deal. And no, I'm not, because I'm part of everybody, and I'm not doing it. Now I'm leaving the party. Make fun of me all goody-goody. Shut up, man. I don't care what you say. That's, that's, not the, that's not the definition of a man. That stuff takes a real man and melts him down into nothing and then cuts his life short. And sometimes the stupidity that we do causes afflictions in our life. But God. Man, you got a great God. Look at the Creator and we're done. Look at verse 12. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. 
You know what's amazing about God? This, this creator, the God of the universe, a holy God, He still cares about you in your affliction, whether it's your fault or not, whether it's because you were stupid or not, whether it's because you knew better and sinned against Him or not. He still cares about you in your problems. What a great God! Look at him in verse number 12. He says, Thou shalt endure forever thy remembrance unto all generations. Do you know what that means? That means you. That means me. That means my children. God's goodness extends to every generation. I know this world's getting bad. I know this country is shot. But hey, God's still alive and well. And he's still good this morning. He allows you to have problems, and some of them you made yourself. But when you cry out to him in your problem, he is there to show up and bail you out. What a God, man. He's bailed me out when I knew it. He's bailed me out when I didn't. Pretty innocent thing, me keeping myself out of trouble, because I had, I still do, but I had just a lot of energy. Always had just a lot of energy. My job is to sit and study and think, and I'm not that guy. My personality is not that guy. So God gave me a great outlet. But the time came and God said, stop it. And my preacher said, you're getting up there, man. You might want to think about cutting back. And I said, you don't know me. And he turned out to be right again. But God had to afflict me to teach me. You know what he's doing? You know what God's doing? I'm telling you, this is what God's doing. God's building me. Hallelujah, man. I need a lot of work. Ask my wife. God is building me. You know what God's doing with you this morning? He's trying to build you. And do you realize that part of your process in getting built is affliction? And the devil tries to slide in there when he sees you in that affliction and starts getting in your mind and in your emotions and starts trying to tell you this and tell you that. And God's like, listen, man, stay with me. He said, I will build my church. Ye are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. He's trying to build you. And he's trying to build this church. And he's trying to build your family. And he cares about the next generation. Because he's not done yet. What's going on in the world? Affliction. Persecutions. Problems. Troubles. Trials. What's going on in America? The same. What's going on in the economy? The same. What's going on with the doctor's visits? The same. But there's a God in heaven that knows every problem you got, every trouble you got, every struggle you got, every trial you got. And he wants to take those afflictions and use them to teach you some things about his word and about his work and about his will and about his way. That if you can draw closer to him in your affliction, you're going to see how great your creator is and the work he can do in your life. But if you don't, those problems you're still going to have and those problems, I'm telling you right now, your problems will destroy you. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You may not need this sermon today, but I'll guarantee you sooner or later in your life you're going to need it.